This is Rugger Matrix America. Welcome, everybody, to the show. This is Alex Goff, editor of RugbyMag.com, welcoming you to show number 69 of Rugger Matrix America. We're joined, as usual, by Bruce McLean and Pat Clifton from the four corners of the earth. And, uh, Bruce, you're, you're, you're ready to go. I am ready to go. Um, it's going to be exciting. And Pat's in from Kansas City. Yep, I am. And uh, I'm really excited about the guests we got today. Talk a little World Cup and talk some uh, Kyle my favorite. So, Well, great. Before we get into the, uh, our guest, I just want to remind you that Rugged Matrix America is brought to you by the USA 7's International Rugby Tournament, which is held this coming February, February 10, 11, and 12 in Las Vegas, Nevada at Sam Boyd Stadium. Yeah, it's three days this time, three days of incredible international sevens action, and it's really going to be a lot of fun. And don't forget the Las Vegas Invitational, which will start on the 9th and move its way through the 10th and the 11th with some of the finals being played in the stadium because they've spread out the schedule. So it's going to be a really great time. Tickets are on sale Hotel deals are coming soon. Go to USA7s.com. And brought to you by Rugby Imports. Go to RugbyImports.com where they're celebrating, or not celebrating, they're, they're commiserating with New Zealand fans about the fact that Dan Carter is injured and out for the rest of the World Cup. So you can get a 15% discount on New Zealand gear at RugbyImports.com. And you can also check out all the USA gear and uh, shirts and, and, and uh, hats and stuff like that that you can get at Rugby Imports. So go there. Can you get that really awesome flag jersey? You know, I don't know if you can get the flag jersey. I know you can get the, the old-style hoops, which uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, you know, back from the, from the mid-'90s. I know you can get that one. We are joined by uh, the assistant coach for the United States national team and also director of rugby at Life University and a former longtime standout for uh, on-back rugby and uh, a, a former Eagle who played in the 2007 World Cup. And uh, that is Dan Payne. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me. Well, Dan, uh, you, you were at the World Cup as a player in 2007. You're at the World Cup as a coach in 2011 uh what is the difference for you um i think they're they're both similar uh to a certain degree uh, i think you know the biggest thing especially for for any american that gets a chance to take part in it is it, it's, it's the epitome of of rugby throughout the world it's an amazing experience and i think the difference for me was this year just being in new zealand i think it would probably be similar to anybody that was at both places there's the, the way that country embraces rugby is, is second to none. So that was just probably the most amazing experience for me personally. Well, in, in terms of the, the performance, uh, you know, one of the things that I remember from 2007 was there was a bit of a circling of the wagons uh, for the team. Um, I remember writing, I didn't think the team went into the, the 07 World Cup in a particularly good form. And, and I think that they, they could have done better, um, but the, the players played really hard in that tournament, ended up 0-4, lost one game really close, another game not as close but should have won, but then battled 
other teams that uh, you know you'd expect a huge blowout and did some good things. And this time around, kind of the same thing. The team goes into the World Cup not on the greatest form, losing a couple of games. Perhaps they should have won. Um, they do win a game, but uh, but part of the other uh, the, the profile of the rest of the World Cup was kind of the same. Is that they they you know they were close in some aspects, perhaps battled, and certainly the players played really hard. Uh, yeah, I, I think that'd be safe to say. Um, you know that both. In both cases, I think that due to maybe less than optimal levels of expectation going in, resulted in, in both both campaigns overachieving. You know, this, this year I can speak to being 100% proud of the guys' effort and and the way they battled and played in in all four contests. You know, and I think anybody that watched the games, you know, can attest to that. They they played their butts off, and it was it was really cool to be a part of. I would have to say that the expectations going into the World Cup were were low to low to to be you know as expected. And if we were to say after we lost the Canada World Cup qualifications, and I just started writing an article about this a little bit. I don't know if I'll finish it, but I did start writing it. If if you said after the Canada match that we were going to lose twenty two to ten to Ireland, twenty seven to seven to Italy, and we were going to get wiped by Australia 67-9, but we beat Russia 13-6 in not the greatest performance, but we get the win that we had expected. I think everybody would have said, sold, I'll take that. I don't think you can do it. And and I think that they did pull it off, and I think a lot of it is due to the guts of the players. And and it, and there were, there, were some, there were some good things in it. I, I thought that the that a lot of the restarts were pretty good. I thought that the line-out operated quite well. I thought that the defensive line-out operated well. I thought that they... The team played pretty solid team defense uh, all across the park. I, I think that in the Australia game, I think it was just one of those things that kind of got away from us a little bit. And and But all in all, you can't say that it could have been better, and I think that that's the frustrating thing, and I think that we, we didn't have a lot of rhythm and attack, and there's some other issues with that. But I, there were a lot of positives to take out of it, and also – one of the things that you can really say is that we are the same size as the guys. We can cope with them physically that now we just need to deal with the, with the issues of tight head prop and, and really developing our front rows properly and developing our nines and tens to be uh, capable. I mean, we have Petri and we have USAS, but we don't have a whole lot behind it that's developed in America. And I think that we have to really take a hard look at doing that and mark my words right now, Eric Fry will be America's tight head and he'll be great at it. That's a big statement, but I think that it's true. Dan, um, looking at this thing from the outsider's perspective, um, Mike McDonald had kind of, it seemed to fallen out of favor with, with Eddie, the coaching staff as a whole or, or whatever, and hadn't been playing a whole lot with the Eagles um, leading up into this thing. And, and maybe if you'd asked us last summer, um, the summer of 2010, um, when Mike's, uh, um, you know, prospects were for making the World Cup team. An idiot like me would have said, well, they're looking pretty bleak. But he comes out here in this World Cup, and he just has a really great showing, and he played fantastically and really heroically, um, if you don't want to, <laughs> and at the risk of using that term too lightly. But, yeah, I mean, he played – he had a really, really great campaign. And I think that, you know, Todd Clever also as well and, and Paul Emmerich, and I hate to lump these guys together for being uh, less than uh, spring chickens, but they, they're not young guys. Did you get the sense that these guys really kind of looked at this as, 
a chance to make an impact and really do something special in what could be their last World Cup? <clears throat> uh, you know, I, I don't think that that was their motivation. I, I think you could probably make that case uh, from an outsider's perspective. I think, you know, when you're around these guys day in, day out um, for, for years on end and you watch jersey presentation after jersey presentation and you watch how much they sacrifice and, um, you know, give up to be able to be a part of the program, you start to understand just how important it is to a lot of them. You know, Mac, Mac and would be the first to admit that probably a year and a half or so ago he had fallen off form, and and that was due to some things that happened in his personal life, and you know, with the passing of his mother and and things like that that um, you know every human goes through from time to time, and he, he battled back and he came back to to be the type of player that you've seen the last year or so. Um, you know, and I think I would think that. Clever, you've got to think, would be around for a while. And you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that can jump in front of Emmerich's performance right now if you're going to give the ball to somebody and ask him to go forward for you. I don't know how many other people we have in our in our pool right now that can, can compete with where he's at. But, you know, so I, I would be um, a little bit hesitant to say any of them might not be around four years from now. But I think the job is to try to develop people that can compete with them and fill in behind them. Um, but I, I think it was just the effort. The guy was proud to to be able to play for for our country and and get after it. And that's that's part of the reason that they all performed the way they did. Dan, can I ask you a quick question about the 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 day of September 11th and the jersey presentation ceremony and kind of let us into the the video you guys did. Uh, Jared had done a video for the guys. Could you talk us through what that day was like prior to the Ireland match and, and what actually went on a little bit behind the scenes? Cause it was pretty interesting. Yeah, that, that day was, um, I would say, in fact, I have goosebumps on my, uh, on my arms right now, as you start talking about it, that, that day was, um, a pretty amazing and emotional day for all of us, you know, from the time we woke up in the morning and, and we had a memorial service. It, it was, you know, it was a later later kickoff in the day, and we had moved the the jersey presentation to that day as well because it was a later later kickoff. Um, you know, and, and starting from the the U.S. ambassador speaking at the memorial service that we all went to, and and the really welcome ceremony that the New Zealand um, people gave us on that day, and the support they gave us. Um, you know, I, I think there were a lot of tears shed throughout the day and it was just kind of an up and down day and you had to keep getting yourself up and then recovering and then up and recovering and, and it pride and, and the, you know, respect for, for being American w was amazing that day. And, and then obviously having the Jersey presentation where, where we had uh, Logano come and, and present it. And you, Bruce, you can probably maybe speak a little bit to that, knowing the specifics of, of their family and the, the 9-11 um, background, I think that'd be something interesting people would hear, and then I can tell you how that how that transpired. Yeah, uh, John Logano's brother Sean was a four-time All-American, and he was a scrum half for the athletic club, and he went to Xavier as well, and and it was right at the time when, when Mike Petrie was in high school that 9-11 happened, and, uh, and, and on the 10th anniversary, John had, had said that he wanted to get out of New York and he wanted to go to the World Cup and he, he went for three days. He well five days. It was it was one to fly, one to fly back. And then it was he, he 
got there the day before, so it got there on September 10th, stayed September 11th, left September 12th, and and he he wanted to be down and be a part of the jersey. He wanted to just be be at the game, and then they asked him to present the jersey to Mike Petrie, uh, and as part of the Xavier family and and the rugby family in general, and I know that it was. Uh, as he said to me, it was the coolest thing he's ever done in his life. Yeah. And, and, you know, it puts everything into perspective. It put everything into perspective for all of us as well. And, um, you know, he presented that Jersey to Mike and, and, uh, and we all understood the significance of that. And then subsequent to that, there was a, a video presentation or a video montage with, a lot of uh, highlights from from the build up to the World Cup, but then the 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 most amazing part was we, there were individual messages from from I don't know how many different fire halls and firefighters and um, New York City firefighters or some from from Oakland firefighters, uh, people across the country, um, just wishing us well and and asking asking the guys to go represent well and that they're all behind us and and behind behind the players and the whole effort and everything and. You know, it just it put everything into perspective um, to, to to really understand what a big day and what a what a you know moment in time it was for us to be able to go out and represent our country that day. And I, I say us because it was a, it was a group effort, but it was obviously the guys wearing the jersey. It was it was their effort and all the guys that helped them prepare for it. And it, it was an amazing day. In fact, we were probably most concerned. I, as, as a staff a bit is, is we had peaked and valleyed probably three separate times on that day before we even got on the bus to go to the match. So the, the toll of the emotion from that event before we even got there was a, was a little concerning to us, but um, obviously it took over for 80 minutes and the guys fought their butts off uh, and, and put in a great representation. Uh, yeah, Dan, that was, I was about to ask you about that, about emotional burnout, because I remember watching the guys come out onto the field and, you know, having seen, seen everybody file in early in the morning, uh, well, early for me anyway, uh, to, to go to the, the service thinking, you know, it's a long day because that's a, what was it? A seven thirty kickoff. And, uh, and, and then, you know, it's cold and wet and rainy and you've had a long day already. Um, but but it, there's nothing – if you say anything about the Ireland game, um, you, you can't say that they let off. I mean they put everything they had into it. So, so clearly um, it, didn't, it didn't hurt them to go through that and, and possibly it, it helped bring them together. Yeah, I, I think it did and it was a great way to, uh, to jumpstart everything. You know, they, it, it really was. There's really not much you can say about it other than that was such a, a monumental day and it's like a snap of the fingers can any of us really believe it's been a decade <laughs> you know um each, each person in there can remember where they were that day and, and what was going on with it so um you know it was it was great to be able to share that i can imagine uh that video you know getting guys emotional and getting them hyped up and the other parts of the day doing the same thing um most of the coaching staff we talked about euro 7 world cup experience have all played at a high level you had to feel at some. I mean, were you looking for an extra jersey at one point, trying to strap the boots on? I mean, I, I'd have to imagine you were you were ready to to tackle something or do something at that point, weren't you? Yeah, I, you know, I think. I mean, so many different things go through your head. You get you go from from wanting to go tackle something, but then you go from getting pissed off again and thinking back to what what happened on that day to then, you know, it's just such an array of emotions, but. Uh, you know, our our primary concern was making sure the guys were 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 
overcome and, and, you know, able to go out and perform the best that they could. And, and that kind of took precedent there. Well, Dan, in, in terms of the, 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 the performance, uh, what, what, what's your feeling about the performance overall by the team uh, at the World Cup, but also through this year? Um, well, I, I think, you know, I, I'm always proud of, proud of the effort. I think everybody displayed great effort and, and, um, you know, I, I think if, if we were fair to her, to our performance as a whole, if she took the last year, I would say in, in July or excuse me, July, maybe August, we obviously underperformed a bit, um, overperformed relative to that at the world cup. Um, you know, and you, you can go back through and you, you can look at all the different performances and without making excuses, you, you can, you can, kind of look to, to reasons and, and rationales for all of all of the different performances. Um, you know, I, I think that the team that played at the World Cup, and I listen to your guys' podcasts all the time, I think it's it's safe to say that that was some of the first time that that team really got assembled to just compete together. They weren't able to play together in the Churchill Cup that much. And then for a variety of reasons throughout July, you know, there was a lot of, of mis- mismatched um players and, and there wasn't a whole lot of continuity within the selection process for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, so I, I think it's, there was a lot of, there were a lot of questions to be, to be answered in September and fortunately they were. All right. Well, I, I think one more question for you, Dan, and we appreciate you taking the time. Um, and, and we're looking at the, the likely, uh, end of the, the tenure for Eddie O'Sullivan and, uh, a new head coach for the the USA national team and um I think you know I I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this but uh, are you a candidate for that no job? no um you know I, I think uh I I have plenty to do down at my current job and um plenty of development and, and things to work on and and goals to push myself towards as as a coach um and and individually no I'm, I'm I wouldn't see myself as a candidate for that job um, very, very interested in that job as far as who gets it and and how things transpire from it. But uh, you know, I've got uh, plenty to do and trying to just continue to develop rugby down here in the south and, and with my current job uh, at Life University. So, all right, well that that's a, a big enough job to start with. So uh, thank you very much, Dan Payne. We really appreciate you taking the time to share with us some of your experiences at the World Cup. All right, we're going to take a break right now, and we will be right back with uh, some College Sevens talk. Don't forget to check out USA7s.com to find out all the information about the upcoming USA Sevens tournament, February 10th, 11th, and 12th, 2012, in Las Vegas. And yes, it's three days, three days of international rugby competition, and the Las Vegas Invitational all around that as well. Go to USA7s.com and check out RugbyImports.com for a special they're doing on New Zealand kit and a special they're doing also on USA kit. Check it out, RugbyImports.com. Okay, so we are back, ready to talk College Sevens, which uh, has, you know, has become the, the thing that that excites me about this entire situation is that a couple of years ago nobody talked about college sevens. The only uh, only in a couple of little pockets were there college players playing sevens, and usually they were they were uh, associating themselves with a club team and going to play things like that. Um, and the national team was bringing in collegiate all Americans, the national sevens team, to play some sevens as well. But 
starting with the USA Sevens uh, Collegiate Rugby Championship in uh, in 2010 and moving on through 2011. Suddenly, it's all exploded, and and teams have uh, whole conferences, whole leagues have started uh, collegiate sevens championships, which is which is terrific, and we've seen. Uh, a huge leap forward in the quality of play, in my opinion, between the first CRC and the second CRC. Certainly, uh, the top teams played pretty good sevens both times, but it's sort of the middle, the middle teams and, and the lower echelon teams. I think we're still playing really well. Now, what we've got, USA Rugby has uh, a championship scheduled for uh, December this year. We still don't know where. And we'll just run down the the, the structure here a little bit. We've got thirteen tournaments that have been labeled as qualifiers. The winners of those tournaments get into the national tournament, which is uh, of 16 teams. And then we've got three at-large teams for which we, uh, I actually don't know, uh, maybe, you know, Pat, you'll probably know uh, what, what the criteria is in terms of how to choose these other three. It may just be sort of an invitational thing. Um, but we already have five teams that have already been uh, qualified. Uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison, Miami of Ohio, North Carolina State, University of Tennessee, and Life University. So uh, congratulations, Dan, on that. And then we have a couple more coming up in a, in a, in a couple of weeks uh, in the Oklahoma Sevens in Norman, Norman, Oklahoma on October 15, and the Northwest Collegiate Rugby Sevens Championships in Seattle on October 16. So first of all, Pat, any word on a championship location and any word on how those at-large teams get picked? Well, location, um, you know as well as I, there are rumors out there. Um, I've heard, you know, anywhere from uh, Arizona to uh, to Miami to, to California. We'll see. I, I, there seems to be a, a bit of a wave of uh, popularity to the, to the Florida um, rumor, which wouldn't be a bad thing, right, to get a championship uh, east of the Mississippi. Uh, you don't have very many of those, it seems like. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's nothing solidified there. And, um, as far as I, I don't have a strong rumor that I, I feel strongly about backing and saying this is going to happen. Um, in terms of the selection, there seems to be a bit of confusion between, um, you know, the, whether it's going to be the college competitions committee that's going to be able to seat the, uh, to pick the, the at-large teams to, to seat out the tournament. Um, they may be involved. It does, uh, appear, however, that Al Caravelli is going to be involved and he's got, um, a large network of, of people going out to scout these tournaments, watch these tournaments, and uh, and get an idea of who's good and who's not. Um, and I know Todd Bell is collecting uh, collecting the results from not just the qualifiers, but from um, outlying tournaments like uh, you know the Heart of America Sevens tournament happened a couple weeks ago um, for the Heart of America Conference here in uh, uh, right in my neck of the woods, uh, the Kansas Truman States, Oklahoma States of the world. And while it's not a qualifier. Um, you know, it could factor into uh, the results of that could factor into the at-large process. So it, it's still kind of a jumbled mess, and if it's decided, it certainly hasn't been um, it certainly hasn't been announced. But it seems to be some mix of high performance, um, Al Caravelli, and, and the competitions committee is going to make the decisions on the at-larges. Well, the 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 at the at-large teams, you know, as I understand it, have to at least have played somewhere. They can't just sit in an armchair somewhere and say, you should pick me. But, uh, you know, I, I really don't know. I mean, there's, there's, I've seen that documentation somewhere that, that claim that you have to have at least played in one of these tournaments or even right. not a qualifier but something. And the qualifiers are supposed to be sending video 
um, to USA Rugby, and I would assume Todd Dell is the one actually collecting them um, for the whatever the however the committee ends up being, just, you know, put together for them to use uh, as selection fodder. But I, I would be interested to see. I'm not so sure that there's been a team that uh, uh, that has gone up and uh, has played yet in one of these qualifiers. That's going to be an at large bid if you look at the quality of tournaments coming up. If so, it may be the team that uh, Dan's team beat out in uh, at the South Independent Sevens in Arkansas State. That's true. Well, Dan, what did you think about Arkansas State? Well, I think pretty much the same that hopefully everybody in college knows about them. They're they're a well coached, uh, very athletic team. Uh, you know what what they've done over there with uh, Matt and then obviously Kurt for many years. But what they've built um, is something that's that's really gaining a lot of steam right now. And and they've added some more athletes to their to their mix this year. And they've. Uh, you know they've got a, a great program that's growing and growing and getting better all the time. So I thought they were a great team, and we were very, you know, we we were very fortunate to be able to come away with a win at that tournament. Was it hard to get you guys uh, to play sevens and to have a tournament where everyone was playing sevens, or did you feel like there was seven guys playing fifteens at times? No, we've had. Uh, I think both both teams, at least talking with Huck and and um, uh, his staff. And Alex Hauser, who used to coach here, who is now was able, fortunate enough to be able to, they have a full-time assistant job open up at Arkansas State. He's able to go there and coach now as well, which is great after he finished his degree here at Life. Um, you know, in speaking with them, they put in quite a bit of time in their sevens prep, as as did we. Tui Osborne was, has been here working with uh, the sevens guys and, and working on some specific sevens systems. So um, they've been around sevens enough the last couple of years. And with the growth of the, the sevens, game i think more and more players are understanding how to play sevens versus 15s dan do you think that the at-large qualifications should go to teams who've at least participated in a qualifier i mean that would seem sensible to me that and 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 i think that arkansas state would almost be a certainty but i i i would i would look at the at-large qualifications you know you would hope that they would have at least participated in the qualification process and I think that's pretty important for the integrity of the tournament. Yeah, I agree. I think I think everybody needs to compete, but I, I I'd also say that that that's going to be a pretty tough process. I'm I'm glad that uh, that we were fortunate enough to be able to to win an outright bid, just because whenever I think, did you say they're taking they're taking sixteen, correct? You yes. know what? I'm 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 sorry, uh, and, and I'm sorry 24. that you know it's twenty four. I was looking at the women's thing. The women's is sixteen. There's okay. twenty four. I don't know why I had 16 in my head, but um, right, yeah, that 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 makes more sense then. And that I mean, there's you you would think you could hopefully get all of those teams included if with you know with 24 with the majority of the the solid teams that might have taken second or even in some cases third. You know, I'm sure there'll be teams out there that take third in certain conferences that might have been able to win several of the other conferences. But I think they should um... at least have to be have at least tried to qualify. I think Something that's that cool is about this thing is it, it, the timing of it. There's a lot of people that disagree with the timing because of, uh, you know, you talk about peaks and valleys and how many times in the season you have to peak. And I know I've talked to Alex Bagley about it, um, the coach at Dartmouth, that, uh, you know, his team's expected to peak in, you know, it's supposed, now it's the 17th is supposed to peak in December. It's also supposed to peak in uh, in fall because of their, their Ivy League and when it is. And then if they were in the college premier division, they'd have to peak in the spring. And then again in June for sevens again. 
So, like, the peaks and valleys of college rugby, obviously, if you want to compete in everything, are, are very confusing. Um, but it, the timing is cool in that there, I know there are numerous cases where there are seniors that are going to graduate in December or run out of eligibility in December that are able to compete um, in the fall. This is their last hurrah, their chance to play college rugby and win something, which I think is neat. Do you have any of those guys, Dan, that uh, maybe are, are leaving in December that get a chance to play now? Yeah, we don't have any this year. Uh, we, we, we made sure to double check and, and find out if there were some, um, but, uh, we didn't have any that started. So those, you know, those would be obviously those that started school in January. Um, and we didn't have any of our, we didn't have a very, very big graduating senior class this year, but we did check on them and, and we didn't have any that could extend their eligibility. I do want to Dan, add, what's the weather? Go ahead. What, Dan, what's, what's the weather like in, uh, in Atlanta area in December? Do you think you could host this thing? Uh, it gets pretty cold. It can, it, I mean, it, it sounds ironic, pretty cold for, for our weather anyways, but it, you know, it snows in January sometimes here. It did last year for the first two weeks. So December can get, can get pretty frigid. I, I don't think we would be in a situation where we would be able to host it and offer any sort of certainty on weather. Yeah. Maybe a bit risky. Yeah. Um, the CRC is obviously, uh, uh, the, it seems to be the crown jewel in college sevens. And I know that some of the people I've talked to still see it that way, regardless of whether or not USA rugby is offering a, a national championship. And it's something that you guys haven't been um, a part of in the past. I, don't, I mean, we can get into the argument, but we've done it several times on the show about who should be invited and, and whether it should be marketable teams or teams like yours that um, maybe don't have the big name. But how much of a motivator is it for your guys to say, hey, look, we can play sevens too. Even though we're not on NBC, we can play sevens, and to go out and beat teams that were in that CRC. So that's part one of the question. Part two is, are we going to see you in Vegas in February trying to qualify to get on NBC? Yeah, uh, part part one is yes, and part two is yes. Um, we're we're going to, we're you know, our guys, obviously, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll foster that as much as possible whenever you can put a chip on your guy's shoulder and use it as motivation and, and something to let them go out and and gain you know a little bit of extra extra motivation or hard work out of it. We, we'll do that, but they they also you know our guys push themselves um, regardless. And I, I don't know if they're really that bitter that they haven't been selected. They understand the overall process and the the, the reasoning behind it, and you know it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and I don't fault the organizers that uh, organizers of that tournament either. Um, you know, the, the second part of that is that there is an opportunity for, for people that want to go out and prove that, that they can compete in that tournament. And that's, that's earning that one at large bid out, out in Vegas. And we're going to send a team out there this year to try to compete in that as well. So I think we've seen, uh, more, uh, emotion come from the teams that the colleges that think that they're marketable, that think that they fit the criteria and they're not invited. And, and that's understandable. Um, and Life University is just not well known in other sports, so I, I guess I guess the guys understand that that you're a little bit off the beaten track. Uh, coming up then for the the national sevens qualification, like I said, Oklahoma uh, sevens on October fifteenth, Northwest sevens on October sixteenth. Uh, I'll be there at that one. That'll be fun. And then uh, October twenty two, we've got two. We've got the Mountain sevens in Glendale, Colorado, and the Pacific sevens in Palo Alto. And then a week later, a week later, we're still in California. Moraga has the California Seven, so I guess there may be a split off. Of uh, uh, maybe there'll be different teams in those two, or maybe there'll be a lot of the same teams in the team that wins the first week. 
uh, or may say the team that comes second in the fir- in that first week in the in the Pacific Sevens may want to co- try and win and qualify directly in the in the second week. And also on October 29 uh, in Newark, Delaware, is the Delaware Sevens. And then we finish it up uh, November 5th with the East Coast Rugby Conference Sevens in Amesbury, Massachusetts. And 5th and 6th is a two-day tournament, the Ivy Rugby Conference Sevens. We don't know where that is. Um, I'd, I'd probably actually, my, my guess would be it'd probably be at Columbia because they've got that lovely turf field there, but uh, Baker Field. But I don't know, it may be someplace separate like Randall's Island or something like that. For but clarification, those are, um, yeah. just because of the teams, that, there are teams that are going to play in two qualifiers. 40 states already done it. But you actually have to, and this is my understanding coming from people on the competition committee, you have to declare before you play in either one of the tournaments which one you're going to use as your qualifier. So you can't go get second um, and, and, and had you won, have that be your qualifier, and then the next weekend go and win one. So let's say, you know, St. Mary's is going to play in both of those tournaments. Um, they have to say before they play in one of them which one they intend to qualify to. All right, you got to call your shot. Well, Sevens is also on our mind on uh, a more international scale in that the the Olympic movement has officially really started now because on October 29th and 30th, the USA will be playing in the Pan Am Games in Guadalajara, Mexico. They'll be staying at, bear with me here, i got to pronounce this right, Tlaquepaque Stadium in Tlaquepaque, uh, Mexico, which is a suburb of Guadalajara. And they are in a competition. It's an eight-team competition. They're actually in a fairly favorable pool. They play Mexico, Guyana, and Uruguay. Whereas in the other pool, you've got Argentina, Canada, Chile, and Brazil. So if I'm Al Caravelli, I'm actually pretty happy with that that draw because that that gives gives the team a really good shot to get some momentum going but it's also kind of a freaky thing and this happened in the national all-star championships this is why they did it in fact everybody is seated one through eight after the pool uh pool play and everybody gets to go into quarterfinals so the usa could go say three and zero in pool play and then lose in the quarterfinals if they're not careful but this is the this is the tournament for them to be able to start their olympic movement to be in the athletes' village, possibly win a medal. I and and guys, I don't know about you. I expect them to win a medal. Hey, yeah, they better. I I think that that's a fair expectation. As you look at the teams that are in this thing, Argentina and Canada would be the only teams that you could possibly favor over the United States in any one-off game. Uh, Chile is is not a bad team, but we've got uh, you know representative sides from the United States beating Mexico, um, beating some of the. Uh, the teams from the uh, West Indies or Caribbean region. Um, Guyana gave France a good run in Vegas. Um, I don't think it was last year, the year before. I can't remember off the top of my head. But, uh, yeah, the, the Eagles have to be the top three favorite. And, really, they need to – I'd like to see them come away with the gold. you got to play Argentina as, as the, uh, the overwhelming favorite. But the Eagles, I think they're going to have to put – you know, Al Caravelli is putting in a lot of commitment and a lot of time into this thing, and it would be a great jump start to the Olympic campaign. Um, I think it would be a great jump start to recruiting some of the 15th guys to get reinterested um, in the Olympic uh, campaign um, to go out here and get a win. I think it would be just a huge boost to the seventh program who hasn't had the most resounding success lately uh, on the international stage. I think it's a big deal that they're having it. Where everybody goes to the knockout stages, because if they were in that pool, they go three and zero. They're playing Argentina or Canada in a semifinal with a chance of getting knocked out. So 
not only are they favorable on one end, they're favorable on the other end as well. If it had been a, I don't know that I would have wanted to be in that situation, having to play a somewhat battle-hardened Argentina or Canada in a semifinal match, almost a winner-take-all for a medal. So that could help them a bit. Dan, what is what is the thought among some of the college players uh, when when we start talking about Pan Am Games and and possibly Olympics? Does that does that light a fire in the interest in sevens? Do, do the guys talk about that sort of thing? Oh, sure. I think it, it lights a fire in in college guys. It lights a fire in, in you know. I just had a, a conversation the other day with Paul Emmerich here, and and he was talking about the the opportunity to go win a gold medal. You know, which is something that uh, in the Pan Am games, you know, it lights a fire with everybody. And I think um, you see it with the college kids. You see it with a lot of kids coming out of high school or still in high school. Now, even during our summer camps and with the recruits you speak to, the parents understand that the Olympics are a possibility or that they, you know, represent their country in the Olympics and things of that nature. And it just gives, gives a lot more um, awareness to everybody throughout, throughout the sport. Well, the, I just talked with Mark Bachoven. In fact, we talked about the same thing, and, and his point was that for him and for a, a, a bunch of players, certainly I, I would, you know, Paul Emmerich is only 31, but still the 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 Olympics, the 2016 Olympics, are five years away. So they know they're not, they, you know, Bachoven says I'm not going to play in the Olympics. I think I'll be too old by then. So this is my Olympics. This is my chance to go into an Olympic style competition and be part of the team that that wins, you know, ideally wins a, a gold medal, at least wins a medal to be on that podium, uh, you know, I, th- I think is a, a, a driving force for these guys. And I guess performance-wise, let's see the momentum of the passion of the World Cup transfer into this team as well. Let's see that, you know, we don't want to see them missing tackles. We don't want to see them uh, missing assignments because they're just a little bit tired. I, as fans... Don't we? We want to see them crawling off that field. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that a question or a statement? Well, it's, it's it's a statement, but I want to see. I mean, I would imagine you'd agree with it. But uh, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sounding like I'm being. Uh, I'm sort of getting yelling at the players. I'm not yelling at the players. I'm not saying that they're not giving effort. But but that's what we want to see. And and I think perhaps you, as an, uh, a coach with an international players, can understand that the players understand. Sure. That yeah, I would agree with that. And I know that like you talked about Bachoven and, and a lot of those guys, that's exactly what they're going there. They're, they start training, I think on the 14th. Um, a lot of them are obviously training now, but I think they assemble on, on the 13th or 14th. And that's, that would be the primary focus for them from the first minute they, they put their boots on to start training as a group on that day, I'm sure. Um, so I, I wouldn't have any doubt. And I, I, I would agree with everything you just said. I got in trouble, uh, Paul Hemrick. Uh, in an interview leading up to the World Cup, I, I mentioned his age and uh, kind of said the same thing I asked Dan about earlier about maybe this is his last World Cup. He uh, he assured me that he felt like he was 25, so in four years' time he'd feel like he was 29. So that would mean when the Olympics are around, he'd feel like he's 30. So um, at least mentally, he feels like he's going to be able to still play and maybe well, make an Olympic team. Well, let me let me say something about Emmerich too, and and everybody that watched it or saw his performance on on both sides of the ball would probably have to agree. Um, he hasn't been, he didn't get the, uh, the, you know, the veteran training camp experience yet. Like he, he still takes all the reps and the majority of reps and is it most all contact sessions and training sessions. You know, he hasn't, he hasn't started to fall off there yet. And I think you, until you start to get in, that's when you start to think the end might be near where you, where you really get treated differently. The, the Michael Strahan 
approach, so to speak, where you don't go into contact during training camp, you know, and, and he's not, he's not done that whatsoever yet. So I, I don't think that the, you know, the end is very close to him unless he chooses it to be. Paul could be our, our Frank Bunce playing well into his third, you know, late thirties playing international rugby like Bunce did with the, with New Zealand. Uh, you know, he's only 31 and, but he's been around so long that I think that people, you know, maybe we think he's older than, than that. Uh, predictions and, and, and Dan, we'll, we'll bring you in here. You know, again, we're looking at the fact that USA is in a pool that they should win. They've sometimes been pushed by Uruguay, but, um, often there's circumstances to do with uh, uh, testing young players or injuries, stuff like that. It's going to be a healthy USA team going in there. The only guy not picked due to injury is, well, uh, probably Nessie Malifa and probably uh, and certainly Matt Hawkins um, won't be there due to injury. They've beaten Argentina. They've lost Argentina. They've beaten Canada. They've lost Canada. They've probably lost to Chile at some point. They usually beat them, but Chile's a dangerous team. Brazil, Brazil's uh, at a, at a warm-up tournament very soon, and um, you know they're athletic, if nothing else. Uh, prediction: uh, Where are they going to finish? Uh, I'll start with you, Bruce. Gold medal? What the hell? I always say gold medal. <laughs> uh, Dan? Gold medal. Pat, what do you think? I don't want to be the Russian judge here, but I'm going to have to say silver at least. They possibly bronze. I'm going to say silver to be safe, but uh, I'm certainly rooting for the gold medal. Yeah, I, 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 they got to be on the podium. I think that, that everyone expects them to be on the podium. I think the players expect them to be on the podium. Uh, this is this is a great moment for them, and I, I, I'd say uh, one of the the things to remember is if Argentina is is sharing any players between their 15s team and their 7s team, they won't be at this point because their their 15s team could well still be playing. Uh, so gold medal. Yeah. Can I, can I add to that um, to kind of rebut Pat's just a little bit is, uh, you know, from the time we're young, and I think this is what's going to be great. And like you alluded to earlier, we, we hear about medals. We, we learn in medals, right, in the Olympic competition and everything. And I think for all the guys out there, when you can refer to our game now and you can talk about going to win a gold medal, I think the energy and excitement from that alone will, will hopefully push these guys forward through and, and they'll all be able to stand on that podium together. So. Um, I'll just reaffirm gold medal. I think that it's, uh, it's, it is really great to be able to talk about medals and not try to explain to the, the layman what, what the plate means and what the bowl means and, and things like that. And to be able to just say, you know, even, uh, I gotta say br- bronze medal sounds a lot better than finishing third. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, that, that's going to be uh, something we're going to keep an, keep an eye on. And as you said, Dan, the, the team is assembling on the 14th. They're going to be training. And then uh, for a week, they pick the team. And then uh, a week later after that, they'll fly out to Mexico, uh, start training uh, down there. And they will compete on the 29th and the 30th of October. Stay tuned to RugbyMag.com for uh, all the news from there because we will be on-site, tracking that tournament for both days. So, well, that should do it for us. That was a great show. And Dan Payne, Director of Rugby at Life University, we really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, I'm sure the tap water will be safe at your hotel, so enjoy that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'll get right on that. It's not so much the tap water. It's the ice cubes that you think you're having. It's not Evian and your ice cubes that are in your drinks. Oh, that's sneaky. That's a very good point. So, so uh, 
I guess I have to drink stuff that doesn't require ice, right? Bottled beer and uh, and canned soda and bottled water if you can find it. Okay, I was thinking tea, but yeah, that's fine too. <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> Bruce and Pat, uh, we will uh, check back with you next week. Yeah. Everybody listen to Rugga Matrix Coach Talk. Simon Hardy's interview was good. It's worth a listen if you want to learn about scrummaging. Yeah, I thought I th- I found that fascinating. Uh, I thought that was a, I thought that was a great interview. I have to hang up now so I can go listen. All right, that sounds good. Thank you everybody for listening. This is Alex Goff, editor of RugbyMag.com, dot uh, thanking you, the listeners, Bruce and Pat, and of course Dan Payne for being on the show. And we will say see you next time on Rugga Matrix America. <laughs> <laughs>